Hi, this is Jake Turner for the Turning Points Podcast. This is your home for the best guests, Calvin Watkins, sports writer for The Athletic, about to make his debut for BobMcGinnFootball.com. He is Mark Eccles. And the best takes you won't find anywhere else. And I don't like hype machines. Niners are going to be pretty good this year. No. Find this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. It's time to get to the turning point of the sports world. Burst your bubble here, out haters, back here on Turning Points. But I am a fan of the Alliance of American Football League. In fact, I watched all the games this weekend, and I was into it. In fact, I actually thought this might be a big boost going forward for this league. But the funny thing is, is that we got a lot of speculation happening out there. We already know the issue about the, the payroll and all this stuff, and we don't know what to believe here. But there was one guy I knew out there. He's Arifa son. Uh, AAF writer and Vikings writer for The Athletic. You can follow him at, at Arif Hassan NFL. That's A-R-I-F-H-A-S-A-N-N-F-L. Arif, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. All right, let's uh, first off talk about the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, $7 million in the salary cap right now. What does this offseason mean for the Vikings going forward? Uh, I think it means a lot. I mean, the Vikings think that they're on the precipice of making a Super Bowl run, uh, which is obviously kind of why they went all out last year. Um, and despite not making the playoffs, I think they think that they're pretty well positioned uh, to make that run so long as they make the right moves. The problem, of course, is that they don't have a ton of room to make those moves. They don't have a ton of salary cap space. Uh, they don't have a ton of extra draft picks. Picking 18th in the draft isn't necessarily ideal. Uh, and so uh, they have to. They've got a very narrow margin of error uh, in order to, you know, create that perfect offseason that'll set them up for a Super Bowl run. Viking fans want to know this: What is the latest on Anthony Barr and his future in Minnesota? You know, every day that passes without uh, Anthony Barr contract is another day that it feels like uh, it's a little bit too far away. Like that mm-hmm. is not going to happen. Um, we've known uh, throughout the season that the two uh, teams, Anthony Barr's agent and, and the Vikings, uh, haven't really met at a, at a certain amount of value. In fact, that there's a fair amount of distance between the two. And it seems like since the season has ended, that distance hasn't really closed all that significantly. And so there's a good likelihood that, that Barr is going to kind of seek his talents in free agency, which is going to make it difficult for the Vikings because they really appreciated the kind of unique value that he provides um, given kind of just the the kind of athlete that he is as a linebacker. So, um, yeah, the fact that it hasn't happened yet really makes it seem like uh, it's not going to happen. Uh, the Vikings don't typically uh, bring things to the wire when they're re-signing players. The last time, I think, might have been uh, Everson Griffin, who signed a, you know, two days before free agency back in 2013. So uh, it's been a bit since they've, you know, wanted to keep a free agent and haven't been able to do so. Why have they been having issues with Anthony Barr lately trying to keep him on the team? Well, I think part of it is just that, you know, obviously they have different understandings of what Anthony Barr's value is, and some of that comes from the fact that, uh, you know, Barr coming out of college was a was an edge rusher. He's a 3-4 outside linebacker that primarily rushed the passer. Those guys make way more money than traditional, you know, off-ball linebackers and 4-3 systems. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons that the Vikings won't franchise take Anthony Barr because the franchise take last year uh, for linebackers was fifteen million dollars, which is oh. more than right, which is more than any traditional off-ball linebacker makes. Right, and people like Bobby Wagner or Luke Kuechly, they don't make that much. 
Uh, and then that's that's increased since, you know, Khalil Mack signed the deal and so on. It might even be up to $17 million now. Uh, and that might be twice what the Vikings would be willing to pay or a little bit under twice what the Vikings would be willing to pay on an average salary for Barr. And that kind of demonstrates the difference between an edge rusher who gets called the linebacker and affects the franchise tag amount and uh, an off-ball linebacker. If a team is willing to play Anthony Barr at the edge, they're also willing to pay him a lot more or at least give him a prove-it deal where he can earn a lot more in free agency. So that might be why there's such a significant gap between what the Vikings think he should earn as an off-ball linebacker, maybe something like $10, $11, 12000000 million a year, and what Anthony Barr thinks he, he deserves in the long run, which might even be uh, closer to $15 million. He's Arif Hassan, uh, Vikings writer and covers the AEF for The Athletic, joining us here on Turning Points. You can follow him at, at Arif Hassan NFL. Uh, staying with the Vikings, let's go to the offensive side. Biggest problem for them uh, was not Kirk Cousins, but it was the offensive line. What are the Vikings doing to try and fix that without spending money? Uh, well, without spending money, it's going to be difficult. Uh, <laughs> I think uh, some of the options... You know, they might have to free up some money first by uh, trading or cutting players like Andrew Sandeo and Mike Remmers, and that'll give them maybe a little more latitude. And if they don't sign Anthony Barr or Richard, or, or uh, Sheldon Richardson, um, they might end up with a little bit more money in free agency than a lot of people anticipate, which means that they might be able to make a run at, you know, a Roger Saffold or Ramon Foster. But I think the most likely scenario is that they don't have the ability to sign a starting guard in free agency. They might be able to get a bunch of backups, bring Tom Compton back, you know, anticipate the return of Nick Easton at the left guard spot. But obviously, you know, they'll have to look at the NFL draft in order to find, you know, maybe the best talent available for the least amount of money. Uh, the interior offensive line class in this year's draft is actually shaping up to be pretty good. Uh, and there might be a lot of uh, starting quality players in the second and third rounds of this year's draft. You know, they're all getting pushed down um, by, you know, how good these defensive linemen are in this draft. You know, the fact that, you know, there might be three quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Some people are even saying four. That's going to help move those interior offensive linemen into into day two. And so, you know, they'll be looking at players like Chris Lindstrom or Elton Jenkins or Dalton Reisner if he falls into the second round or maybe even draft one in the first round. Uh, and so those are really kind of their options. What will the Vikings do with uh, pick 18? It's tough. You know, I think that uh, if they don't retain Sheldon Richardson, who's kind of the other big free agent, that, uh, you know, is essentially competing with Anthony Barr for the same dollars. You know, they don't sign him, and, and it feels like they won't. Uh, then they might actually go with an interior defensive lineman uh, instead of an offensive lineman in the first round, which will probably make a lot of Vikings fans pretty angry, um, but might be the best kind of value proposition, just given how good these interior defensive linemen are. It kind of depends on what the medicals are for uh, for Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, you know, he might be in an option if Ed Oliver falls, which I highly doubt, but people have been talking about. You know, he would be an option. Um, but, you know, it really depends on sort of how the draft falls. If Cody Ford, you know, is there at 18, they might decide to take him, say, hey, we've got our left tackle of the future when Riley Reeves' contract is up, for now he can play left guard. You know, something like that. But my intuition, I think the most likely scenario uh, is that they pick an interior defensive lineman because the top of that class looks really good. This year, the Vikings really regressed, uh, kind of fell apart at the last couple of games. So what does the future hold for uh, head coach Mike Zimmer and general manager Rick Spielman? Well, a lot of that will have to do uh, with how good you know Kevin Stefanski is an offensive coordinator and how valuable Gary Kubiak is as an offensive assistant, You know, providing Stefanski with the kind of the support that he needs to maximize 
you know, what that offense can do because mm-hmm. the Vikings defense has just been a top five defense for so long that at least three years, plus they've been improving kind of before that, that uh, it's really kind of up to the offense to be able to, to turn that into wins and to turn those wins into playoff appearances and stuff. So, you know, if the Vikings miss the playoffs, it might depend on how they miss the playoffs before we, you know, have a conversation about whether or not Mike Zimmer's on the hot seat or, uh, you know, Rick Spielman's on the hot seat. Generally, I would say both have done a very, very good job kind of given the situations that they've been put into, especially, you know, Zimmer having to deal with essentially a new quarterback every year. Um, so uh, it's tough to say, you know, if they fall flat, you know, if they miss the playoffs again, certainly that's a good conversation to have, but it really depends on, on how that occurs. Do you think the Vikings kind of overplayed their hand getting Kirk Cousins and letting Case Keenum go? You know, I don't think that that, that was necessarily a bad decision, even knowing what we okay. know about this year. Um, first, you know, we saw how Case Keenum did in Denver. They traded mm-hmm. for Joe Flacco. They didn't really like what they, they had in Case Keenum right, you know, right. as a starting quarterback. And so uh, that's what Zimmer and, and Rick Spielman were kind of scared about with Keenum, is that he'd be kind of a one-year wonder, that his style of play was so high variance that, you know, it's going to be too risky to roll with him as a long-term starter and that he wouldn't be able to maintain some of the stuff that he did really well. We even saw evidence of that in the final, you know, three or four weeks of 2017 plus, you know, in the playoffs. We saw kind of the same case Keenum who, you know, were it not for a miracle play, you know, would have been kicked out in the wild card round. So, ah, uh, okay. right. Uh, so uh, there, there was a lot of reasons to think that Keenum wouldn't be able to maintain that level of consistency where his cousins is a much more consistent quarterback. He just kind of needs a more stable environment around him. The Vikings didn't really provide that. And there were a, a little bit more in terms of injuries along the offensive line than I think the average team gets. So um, that's not to say Cousins was a great deal kind of in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But if you were to pick between, you know, Keenum at, at his cost and, and Cousins as he, at his cost, you know, it might still be better to have Cousins. When will the Vikings have buyer's remorse? What level does Kirk Cousins have to drop? Well, I think if, you know, this year it's it, or this upcoming year, um, it's it's a lot of the same. If we see poor situational football, poor play under pressure, uh, and so on, you know, that's I think kind of when when it becomes clear that despite all of his positives, you know, he's got arm strength, accuracy, he can play really well. You know, when when things around him are going well, despite kind of all those positives, um, you know, if he can't improve on those deficiencies, or if the Vikings can't improve the situation around him. You know, then, you know, a guy who needs a supporting cast is a guy that you need to pay a little bit less because you need to pay for the supporting cast. Um, that's when I think you'll have a conversation about whether or not you want to draft a quarterback in the first round if this next year it, it's not turning out. Uh, and, you know, I don't know what the quarterback class in 2020 is going to look like. I know 2021 is supposed to be pretty exciting, but, uh, you know, that's kind of the conversation I think um, people will have, I think, maybe halfway through the year if the season's not going well. Um, but, that's, that's when you have buyer's remorse. And, you know, it's a fully guaranteed contract, and you can't really get out of it. But you can start kind of planning for kind of your back doors, uh, you know, in, in year three once, you know, you're, you're underway in year two. He's Arif Hassan, uh, AAF and Vikings writer for The Athletic, joining us here on Turning Points. Let's talk about the Alliance of American Football League here for a moment. A lot has happened here. Uh, first off, you, you knew a lot about what was going on with this investment of $250 million, but there's a lot of speculation that said this is a payroll problem. Why did this investment come up with the AAF already? Well, I think that there's a, a couple of things uh, kind of at, at issue here. I think the first is that 
I don't think the money directly has much to do with payroll. I think there was a, okay. a lot of faith from AAF players, and or not players so much. You know, you never have faith in payroll and the people above you, but AAF mm-hmm. executives that they would have enough money to execute payroll on Friday. Uh, the problem is they switched to a new system, which can which can sometimes create payroll glitches. Um, to me, that's not a good sign either. You know, I think that the fundamentals of the AAF kind of behind it from a business perspective. You know, there's a lot of chatter that you know not everything is running kind of quite as smoothly as, as you'd hope for for a business of this size and and given kind of the stakes of having kind of nationally televised games and stuff like that. Um, so there's a lot of the, the fundamentals of the business that aren't really working out for the AAF, and in some ways it feels like they're kind of haphazard. But from the perspective uh, of money coming in and, and so on, uh, the $250 million, uh, it's necessary for the AAF, but it wasn't urgent, if that makes sense. You know, I think okay. that you know they've been courting investors for a while, and some investors wanted to wait on that first weekend before they wanted to see if it was worth investing in, which kind of makes a lot of sense but puts the AAF in a tough position to try and string together a budget until that first game happens. So they see that first weekend, that money comes in. It's money that they definitely desperately need, but they didn't really need it for week two. Um, if they didn't have any of that investment by, say, week five, you know that would have been a problem. So there was some level of, of urgency, but it wasn't, uh, you know, if we don't have this money now, you know, we're not going to be able to put money into players' bank accounts or anything like that. But it is something that they definitely needed. So what does that mean for the future of the league then going forward? I mean, are they trying to just be minor league football? Or what is the aspect of Alliance of America football? Why should people be watching or paying attention to this? Well, I mean, I think for a lot of people, uh, you know, watching the Alliance of American football is kind of, I'm not going to say like a, a revelatory experience or anything like that, but it's certainly, you know, yeah. fun and exciting to kind of remember a lot of the players that, you know, you saw, you know, coming through the college ranks that you maybe liked in the draft or that you know, was even <laughs> on your team for, for, for a couple of weeks or, or even a couple of seasons. Uh, and so, you know, as, as someone who follows the Vikings, there's a ton of former Vikings in the AAF. There's like Dan Asiata and Charles Johnson, you know, are showing up. Jarrell Presley, who was in, you know, in Vikings camp for a cup of coffee, earned, you know, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of fans for, for however long, you know, he was in there. Uh, and so you get to kind of see some players that, you know, maybe, you know, didn't get a chance because of injury. Players like former Viking Sean Washington, who started the season out on the, um, on the physically unable to perform list for the Vikings before, you know, uh, being, uh, being, I think, pushed off on IR, and then you know he signs to the AAF, and then he starts off with the with the AAF's best highlight. Um, so it, it's fun to kind of see players that you're a little bit familiar with. It's also fun to see you know these different kind of styles of football clashing. What's really interesting is that from a schematic perspective, the AAF includes you know people who are very comfortable with college spread stuff, people like Rick Neuheisel, uh, mm-hmm. and then people who run a brand of football that seems like. You know, it's 10 years old and maybe a little bit dead. Like Mike Martz is running, you know, split backs under center, which you don't really see in the NFL at all. Uh, and so uh, schematically, there's there's stuff that might be the future of the NFL. Schematically, there's stuff that's kind of the past of the NFL, and they all have to interact with each other, uh, which I think is really cool, too. Uh, as for, you know, the long-term viability of the league and the purpose of the AAF, I know the AAF understands that it's basically a developmental league and that they're signing players that, for whatever reason, didn't couldn't hack it in the NFL. And so, uh, you know, they're, they're not going to get the kind of quality of play that you expect. But, I mean, people still watch college football. They watch, you know, the MAC and they watch the Sun Belt Conference. And those aren't, you know, necessarily, 
the the highest level of football either, but there's a lot of fun to be had there. And I think that's kind of what the AAF is banking on, is that you can have players that, that play at a professional level that maybe aren't playing at an NFL level that can still generate a lot of really fun games. Uh, and so that's kind of what they're relying on. The, the important thing is that they don't operate as kind of a, a flying-by-the-seat-of-their-pants operation where they uh, continuously have to make adjustments uh, as the season goes on to make sure that the product stays viable. They need to make sure that they've got stability so that they don't need something like a $250 million investment by the end of the season, but it would be nice to have, you know? Who are the teams that people should be watching uh, in the AF? Yeah, I think maybe the, the best and most fun team to watch, and at the same time, is, is the Orlando Apollos. You know, Couldn't defensively, you know, they're they're one of the, the top two teams, but offensively, they're they're far and away the best team. Uh, and so, you know, you've got Steve Spurrier, who's always been a pretty fun coach, uh, <laughs> that uh, is is really good at game planning. And so, the Apollos will enter every game with kind of a different game plan. You know, whether or not it's it's to have basically a four verts philosophy, which is kind of what they did in week two, um, or to run the ball a little bit more, uh, which is what they did in week three. They always find ways offensively to attack what their opponent's biggest weaknesses. Uh, and having the the experience of someone like Spurrier, um, you know, game planning for them and, and, and crafting kind of the best situations for those players, you know, I think leads to a lot of really fun football and really unpredictable football from a team that's consistently talented. Um, so they're fun to watch. Um, the best defensive team is probably the Birmingham Iron. They, they really do a really good job in the red zone. They've got probably the best cornerback in the league, Jamar Summers. Uh, and Good offensively, defense. they've got you know someone everyone kind of remembers, Brent Richardson, and uh, quarterback uh, Luis Perez, who, uh, were it not for the constant drops from his receivers, uh, might be uh, might might have put up the best numbers uh, that the AAF has. Uh, unfortunately, those receivers did drop the passes, so it's Gary Gilbert for the Orlando Apollos, who's probably kind of leading the way among quarterbacks. What does the future stand for Trent Richardson? He has six touchdowns in the Alliance of American Football League right now. What does that mean for his NFL hopes at a possible second chance? Well, it's it's really difficult to to figure out Trent Richardson because you know he's got such a great offensive line. Uh, the Birmingham Iron have a really good run blocking unit, but he's also only averaging two point four yards a carry. Like so, six touchdowns. He's leading the league in touchdowns. Uh, and still only generating 2.4 yards a carry. Now, some of that is because he's taking a lot of goal line carries, but a lot of that is, you know, a lot of that is, uh, you know, being a little bit slow hitting the hole. Some of that is, you know, uh, you know, he's great against contact, you know, straight ahead, but he's not necessarily as great against contact when it comes at an angle. It's really difficult to kind of parse who Trent Richardson is because, you know, yards per carry isn't an amazing stat, but if you're at 2.4, you know, that's, kind of worrisome but at the same time if you're like a reliable touchdown producer the nfl will find something for you to do and so you know it could be that you know he sees nfl playing time as kind of a legarrett blunt or michael bush or matt asiata you know kind of goal line back or you know he might you know get one more shot as being an every down back because you know some of his highlights are, are pretty impressive runs after contact he may not break an 80 yard run um but it seems like he has the potential to break a couple of 12 yard runs I could not agree more. I mean, when I watch Trent Richardson in, when let's say they're at the 30-yard line or something, I don't really see it. But when I see him in the goal line, I just see him as a goal line back. I mean, it's worked well for LeGarrette Blount in the past. And, I mean, I think he, if he gets that second chance, I think he'd be welcome to that. Somebody that I believe that's not going to be welcome, though, Arif, 
It's got to be Christian Hackenberg. I mean, my goodness. This guy got benched um, in the third quarter for Zach Mettenberger, who went off for two touchdowns, brought Memphis within four points, almost won that game. What does the future stand for Christian Hackenberg? Yeah, I, I, I don't see one, honestly. <laughs> it's, it's really unfortunate. Um, uh, so it's bad. It's it, it, was, it was difficult to watch. Uh, you know, uh, you know. You, sometimes you take a look at at some of these guys who are like five star recruits coming out of college. They don't get you know the right opportunities in the NFL. Or they don't have a really good environment, and then they go to like another league and they light it up. And you're like, ah, well, we knew it. You had this talent the whole time. But I don't think Hackenberg's one of those guys. Um, you even take a look at you know PFF went back and graded his 2013 season. Uh, just to see, because, you know, they didn't really like, you know, they saw in 2014 or 2015, and then he got drafted, and of course he didn't do very well in the NFL. Um, so they were like, well, his freshman season must have been really spectacular then. And so they go back and they, they grade that season, and it wasn't. You know, it was very Allen Robinson, right? You know, oh. and, and so, oh. you know, there wasn't a very good season there, and they were like, really like, I just, I, I don't get it. So they go back. Um, they didn't grade, but, you know, people have watched some of the high school stuff, and his high school statistics aren't even that good. Um, it's it's like he's. You, you, do you remember the story? Just like this year, that uh, some recruiting sites got catfished by a fake prospect. Yes. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like that, but it's like a real person who has like <laughs> dreams and feelings. Like it's not fair to anybody. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, just Arif, watch a Christian Hackenberg is. It's just. Uh, it's awful. I mean, I feel like I'm watching one of the top five worst quarterbacks ever throw football i've ever seen i mean jeez i just can't stand that guy uh another thing is so final question then so what players do you think give me five right now that you believe have a shot at a second chance in the nfl or getting an nfl shot yeah i think uh let's see i'll, I'll, I'll try to pick one from a couple position groups i think at cornerback jamar summers is probably the best bet um he's been having a phenomenal season for some reason quarterbacks keep targeting him um, he has like some like 24 targets, which might lead the league. Um, but he also has one of the fewest yards allowed uh, of any cornerback, and he's got a number of inter- like some like three or four interceptions uh, as well. Uh, and so uh, he's doing a really really good job, despite seeing heavy volume, uh, winning in multiple ways. He's winning in man and zone. He's winning kind of in press and off. Uh, and uh, he's being opportunistic. He's got a couple of touchdowns off of you know people throwing it directly to him, like. Christian Hackenberg or, or off of tip passes and some that he's kind of won legitimately. He's got a bunch of pass deflections and stuff like that. So I think, you know, he's a pretty good option. I think offensively at receiver, Charles Johnson is an option. He had a 192 yard game in week two. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of athleticism. And while I don't think he'll ever be a starting receiver again, like he was for the Vikings, you know, I, I think that he's proven that he's definitely good enough to be depth. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that that's worth paying attention to because he's a, a really great athlete. Um, I think along the offensive line, it's very difficult to find AAF offensive linemen that are very good, but mm-hmm. uh, Salt Lake's Ryan Cummings is the right guard, uh, has been consistently good for, for three weeks, which is really difficult to do, I think, um, given kind of who all is in the league. Uh, you know, He's a really great run blocker, and he hasn't been given very much in terms of pass protection. Uh, he's got great recovery and balance, which is something you're looking for, and he's definitely got the requisite side and athleticism to kind of play in any uh, any system. Um, I think on the defensive line, San Diego, well, the entire San Diego defensive line is really great. Um, so I, I could see all four of those guys going. But I would say Demontre Moore, who's leading the league in pressures, 
um, is uh, is a guy to pay attention to. I think he's got 10 quarterback hits, which leads the league, uh, and, and he's just a little bit behind Carter Schultz, who should also get a look um, in terms of total sacks. So, um, you know, he's a guy that I would pay a lot of attention to. A quarterback, I expect Luis Perez, uh, who got a couple of offers um, or a couple, a little bit of interest after Week One, okay. um, to to get a uh, uh, an NFL shot. And I also expect if Zach Mettenberger continues to play well, you know he'll get uh, you know he'll get some interest. And then of course Garrett Gilbert, who's kind of leading the league in um, in like passer rating and yards per attempt and so on. You know, those are guys uh, that I would pay a lot of attention to. Garrett Gilbert looks like he's back playing at Texas. 827 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, he is Arif Hassan, uh, Vikings and AAF writer from The Athletic joining me. Arif, thank you so much. Uh, gave us a lot to think about the AAF and the Vikings going forward, and we'll definitely have you back on Turning Points. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. All right. That was Arif Hassan. Wow. Well, there you go, folks. If, if you want to have any questions answered about the AAF right now going forward, please take a listen to this. I mean, really good stuff, and it gave us some good insight and a lot of honesty, too. Yeah, it's a fun league to watch. It's development, but, I mean, how much longer is it going to last? We'll, we'll find out after year one here. But And then the Vikings, uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason going forward. But uh, when we return on Turning Points, we'll have our final word. I'm going to tell you why we are missing the complete missing piece of the Robert Kraft story. That's all coming up next. This is Turning Points on iTunes.